Uppsala, Sweden, 1539. A priest by the name of Olaus Magnus is hunched over a very unusual manuscript, toiling away by candlelight. This manuscript is a map of what is today Scandinavia. Much of it is covered with water, and in that water are monsters. There's this great monster called the Sea Orm that is like a 200-foot-long serpent with flaming eyes that was in, in the map is shown like basically wrapping itself around a large ship and just squeezing it. There are other uh, monsters with, with hooked teeth, and there are monsters that look like they have acne. Some of them you could tell are based on animals that we know, like the narwhal, which the male narwhal has this long tusk-like tooth. And Olus Magnus called it the unicorn fish. I mean, they're just kind of charming. I'm Amanda McGowan, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. While our understanding of the sea has changed quite a bit since 1539, there are still huge swaths of the ocean that remain just as mysterious today as they were to Olaus Magnus. So on today's show, we're going deep and taking a trip to the twilight zone of the deep ocean. Journalist Susan Casey takes us there after this. I think a lot of the times people expect certain things about the deep ocean, like they expect it to be dark, they expect it to be big, they expect it to be scary, but I'm not sure that you can really expect how beautiful it is. This is journalist Susan Casey. You could say that the ocean is her life. She's written books on great white sharks, on big wave surfers, and she's also been a competitive swimmer, free diver, and scuba diver. Her new book, The Underworld, is all about the relationship between humans and the mysterious deep ocean. But her journey begins on dry land in Uppsala, Sweden, to visit a very unusual manuscript known as the Carta Marina. The Carta Marina is a map that was drawn by a Catholic priest and historian in 1539. It's a huge map. It's 23 square feet, and it takes up an entire wall at this amazing library in Uppsala called Carolina Redviva. I kind of made a pilgrimage there to see the Carta Marina because it represents, going back almost 500 years, a time when they didn't know what was in the ocean. They drew monsters, and that was kind of their best guess of what's over there in the deep part that we don't really know must be monsters. And you have to kind of imagine that they had seen maybe, you know, stranded whales or other animals that had washed up and of course without any sort of context or background or knowledge it would they they kind of look like monsters i mean imagine some medieval farmer seeing a 50 foot long sperm whale with seven inch teeth and thinking monster so it seemed like a good place to start when talking about sort of modern humanity's relationship to the deep ocean and all the things that we don't know about it and what we tend to think is there the Carta Marina is, I think, such a fun place to start because there is this clear, like, fascination and revulsion with the creatures in the ocean. And as you point out so wonderfully in your book, that sort of complicated relationship with the ocean and humanity hasn't changed as much as you might think. Um, there's still so much of the ocean that we have not explored and don't understand. And it seems like it gets a little bit of short shrift when it comes to 
exploration behind, say, the glitz and glamour of space exploration. I would agree. I mean, I think for every $150 that NASA gets, deep sea research gets about one. So, and, and yet, you know, if you think of the Earth as a biosphere, 98% of it is ocean. So the 2% that we tend to think of is where all the action is happening, where we live, right? It's only, you know, a very small fraction. And of that 98% ocean, 95% of it is deep ocean. So waters below 600 feet, a biosphere that exists in darkness 100% of the time. And so, yeah, it's difficult for us to see it. It's difficult for us to form a close relationship with it. Um, we can't look upwards like we do at the stars. We can't look through telescopes. So it tends to be sort of out of sight and out of mind, but it's really the driver of the entire Earth system. So I think as things change and global warming, and we better know how it all works. And we can't know that without spending more time and giving more attention to the deep ocean. So in November of 2019, Susan traveled to the Bahamas to see the deep ocean for herself. This was my first time into the deep ocean. So I was pretty much out of my mind with excitement. I mean, I had been trying to figure out a way to get into one of the amazing machines that uh, could take passengers into the deep ocean. It's not easy. But um, so here we were, and uh, we were on a boat called the Aleutia, and I was with a group called Ocean Axe, which has two uh, Triton submersibles. Triton is this company that I often describe as the kind of the apple of submarine design. They make these really amazing human-occupied vehicles. So there were two of them, the Neptune and the Nadir, were going to be diving together. And we were sitting in a plexiglass sphere. And what's amazing about that is it's like you're floating in a bubble. So you have like a 340 degree view and you feel like you're part of the ocean. You're not looking through a viewport, you are the viewport. What is going through your mind before you get into the Neptune? I mean, I imagine it's like a combination of just, like you said, out of your mind excitement, but also maybe like fear. I mean, I'd be scared too. <laughs> I mean, I don't really feel fear when I'm, in a situation like where I'm so fascinated because I feel like, um, and I'm not claustrophobic. <laughs> I think if you're claustrophobic, maybe you would have a different experience in one of these subs. And despite the sort of the collective trauma that we had watching a submersible implode last summer, they're really safe. I mean, they're all certified and they're, they're safe vehicles. In fact, in 50 years prior to the Titan's implosion, there had never been a fatality in, in a manned submersible. According to the Associated Press, the Titan submersible was not registered with U.S. or international agencies that regulate safety. It had also not undergone safety certification processes by marine industry groups. Susan's submersible, the Neptune, was journeying to a part of the ocean known as the Twilight Zone. From the surface of the ocean to around 700 feet down, that is called the Sunlight Zone because sunlight can permeate through. But below that, you get down to just 1% of visible light, and it gets darker and darker the deeper you go. This is the Twilight Zone. The Twilight Zone extends to around 3,300 feet below the ocean surface. You're describing the descent in your book, and it's like so enthralling to read, just the way you describe like the changes in the light and the changes in the color blues. I mean, what kinds of things are you seeing as you're going down? 
when you get below the surface, you see completely pure blue light. There's a real vibrancy to that blue that we really don't encounter above the surface and everybody reacts to it. And it is very transfixing and kind of narcotic. It just feels like it's alive. The Twilight Zone is like the Manhattan of the deep. There's so many animals that live there. There are more marine creatures in that band of deep ocean than there are in the rest of all the other regions of the ocean combined. There are literally trillions, maybe even quadrillions of these um, little fish with giant teeth and all kinds of jellyfish. And 80 to 90% of them have the ability to be bioluminescent so they can light themselves up. They use it for hunting, for mating, for all kinds of different reasons, a form of information and communication. Were there any kind of sites that stuck out for you? Sea monsters worthy of the Carta Marina. (laughs) Ah, everybody sees these pictures of the fish with the giant eyes and the giant teeth. And what you don't realize is they're like six inches long. I mean, they're really adorable. We saw hatchet fish, which are, you know, have these giant gaping jaws. On the way back up, we went up and completely blacked out everything on the sub, including the lights on the um, control panels, and then flashed the sub sub's lights on and off. And they did that to show me that when you do that, all of the creatures in the water column will flash back. So all of a sudden you're surrounded. As far as the eye can see, these animals will light up and you just get the sense that this is not space. You know, this is not this vacuum. It's this matrix of life and absolutely everything is alive in that water and it you can't help but think that there's a sort of a communion going on where we're flashing and they're flashing back and you feel like wow like they're down here they've been down here this whole time something that amazed me that you describe about the twilight zone of the ocean is also like this enormous scale migration that happens with all of these creatures that go up to the surface to feed and can you tell me a little bit about that too Yes. So the scientists are really fascinated in the twilight zone and are sort of racing to understand it. There's so many animals in there and they do this uh, this vertical migration daily. Um, so they'll ascend through the water column hundreds of feet uh, closer to the surface. I mean, there are no plants in the deep ocean because there's no sunlight, but you're closer to the surface, you get phytoplankton that is sun-nourished. So they'll go up there and eat them at night and then swim back down. And so they're eating particles of carbon. And then they get back down and they excrete them or they're eaten by something else and then excreted. But in any case, this sort of circular migration that happens daily, um, it is a way of actually removing carbon from the atmosphere, shuttling it downward, where then a certain percentage of it ends up sequestered in sea floor sediments. We really need to understand it in order to understand the carbon cycle as a whole. This feeding frenzy is like a natural carbon pump, which is really good both for us and for the Earth. But a common theme in Susan's book is that Even as scientists are rushing to better understand the deep ocean, businesses and countries are already clamoring to extract things out of it, like mining or, with the Twilight Zone in particular, fishing. They want to fish the Twilight Zone, which would be a really bad idea. I mean, this we don't even know how any of these systems operate. Like, why would we interfere with this? We don't want to eat little tiny fish with giant teeth and jellyfish, but we the plan would be to They would grind it up and then we would use it to feed farmed fish that we have to now farm because we have overfished, obviously, and we have had a a profound impact on the ocean. It seems like another planet to us, but the Earth isn't as big as we think. 
When you are ascending back to the surface, you describe it as like a kind of grief almost to come back, which I found really fascinating because it just makes me wonder, like after you have an experience like this, do you always sort of feel called back? Yes. I mean, the answer to that is yes, because the thing that I think is missing from our lives on any daily basis is just a sense of awe. I tend to really gravitate towards any experience of the sublime, which is a sort of a combination of not just extraordinary beauty, but also something overwhelming, something that's slightly terrifying, but in a sort of pleasant way. And as I wrote in The Underworld, I, I see awe as very close to just sort of mainlining the truth. Like we're closer to the truth of how epic this world is, the natural world at that moment than we are in, in just about any other circumstance I can think of. And it felt like home to me, it really did. I mean, that's why I write about the ocean all the time, because I feel more at home in the ocean than I do on land, always have. And I didn't want to leave, just didn't want to leave. Susan, it's been so great to talk with you. I mean, the book is amazing. I'm so jealous <laughs> of your of your deep sea trips. Thank you so much for joining me. You're so welcome. Without spoiling anything, after her trip to the Twilight Zone, Susan did return to the deep. This time, even farther down. You can find out more about that and so much more in her fascinating new book, The Underworld, Journeys to the Depths of the Ocean. We will post a link in our episode description. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. The production team includes Dylan Theris, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. And if you would like to learn more about anything you heard today, you can check out our website at atlasobscura.com. I'm Amanda McGowan, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time.